Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello, I'm Steph and this is the Don't Buy Her Flowers podcast. I hope everyone is well. We have just finished half term. We had a lovely weekend away, a holiday park on the south coast, just us five. And we've done Halloween. Is it okay to say I'm not a big fan? But the kids bloody love it. Frank burst in at 5.30am yelling, it's Halloween, and was most miffed to find out it was a normal school day, um, just with those sweets tacked on the end. Anyway, I'm going to get stuck straight in because I'm excited. Today, we have an exclusive. So about 18 months ago, we had Dr. Karen Gurney on the podcast talking about sex in long-term relationships and specifically about desire. Now, we had two babies that we know of born off the back of that, I guess where couples reconnected after listening and we were sent the baby pics nine months later to prove it. It's also the episode that most people mentioned to me, which if you have a podcast, it's always nice when people talk to you about it. But this is one that really got people talking um, and messaging me. And often people have listened to it with their partners, which is really cool. It's been handed out by GPs primarily because someone in a couple, often a woman, has thought there's something wrong with them because they're just not interested in sex. And Karen not only explains that brilliantly, backed up with research and years of working with couples, but also gives advice on how to future-proof your relationship. But now we have the exclusive because she's written a new book and this is the first interview she's given on it. And the pre-order link has just gone live this week. And it's called How Not to Let Kids Ruin Your Sex Life. Punchy. Um, There's a link in the notes where you can pre-order as it's not out until April 2024. But I got to read the very first copy ahead of this and it is brilliant. First of all, by acknowledging that having kids has a massive impact on your sex life, but also explaining why, like all the things that get in the way of sex, which of course they do, but no one really talks about it. And we don't really know how to talk to our partners about it, especially. So we're all in our own homes worrying about what this says about us as a couple, whether we're doomed. Um, And Karen is just so reassuring and she has advice on how to get through the parenting years. I also loved recording this because we did it in person in a studio and that's the first time we've done that for the DBHF podcast and it was just really nice to be able to give the person I was interviewing a hug. Um, Massive thanks to Ancient Brave for sponsoring this episode. I'll talk more about them later but listeners can get 20% off their products with the code DBHF20. And now without further ado, here is Dr. Karen Gurney. So we're back and this time we're introducing a new book from Dr. Karen Gurney. Yes, so exciting. Do you want to give us the name of the book? Finally getting a chance to talk about it is really exciting. It's called How to Not Let Having Kids Ruin Your Sex Life. Yes, and then the the secondary line is Navigating the Parenting Years with Your Sex Life Intact. Yes. Okay, well, that sounds like a good plan. (laughs) (laughs) We all want that, don't we? Yeah, so I wanted to start by saying that we had you on the podcast that was 18 months ago Mm -hmm. to talk about your first book. And that is by far our most downloaded episode. 
there's been at least two pregnancies that we know of. And that was talking about sex and desire. But it was sex in long-term relationships it was. was the main thing. So in your work, in clinical work, this is a big problem, right? Yeah, I mean, problems navigating differences in desire in long-term relationships are the number one reason people seek sex therapy, which is why I wrote Mind the Gap. And it had a great reception. But there was only so much space in Mind the Gap to actually talk about parenting because mm -hmm. there's so much else to say about desire in long-term relationships. So... Yes, this book is really delving into the parenting aspect of it, what gets in the way, all the restrictions on parents' time. And the, the crucial bit for me and the reason I wrote it is the fact that there are tiny things you can do that mm -hmm. can have a monumental impact in where you end up. Because parents don't have a lot of time. This, this is what we know, this is part of the problem. Mm -hmm. but I suppose the whole book has this analogy flowing through it. This is something <laughs> I didn't know about Karen, but... It's a sailing analogy, yeah. or a boating analogy. I kept this under my hat, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, my did. captain's hat. What, is this something you did when you were a kid? Yeah, so I started sailing, you know, when I was 12. My next door neighbour, who's like her kind of grandparent to me, he's quite amused. He's in this book, by the way. He's in his um, 80s now. He started taking me sailing and we weren't a family with loads of money. This wasn't anything fancy. This was like a little wooden boat he'd built right. on a kind of like small lake in Wigan you know what I mean <laughs> it wasn't anything fancy but yeah I developed a love of sailing and did it in my teens and then went on to study it as an adult just for the fun of it you know navigation and boat repair and all of that it's so random but brilliant it is, isn't it me and my partner used to race together we used to sail in a club in London on evenings and weekends until the kids came along and yeah. we haven't done very much of it since no. then but I can't wait to get them maybe, into it. Well, maybe that'll come back. Because the main analogy that you talk about is that if you're on a boat, it's important to take stock regularly and make small changes of your trajectory. And the kind of the point of this is that with our sex lives, we don't talk about it. There's not something that we go, oh, we must do a check-in on that. Or most yeah. people don't anyway. Yeah, and in the, the analogy that I use in the book is that the boat is really your relationship. Mm -hmm. And having a baby, having more than one having kids it's a storm it's mm. a really big storm and you can't escape it just like a sailor some sailors going somewhere where you know the weather is bigger than you and you will just have to find a way to navigate through it and in different parts of the book as you know I talk about different things that you might need to do and compare them to what you might do in sailing. So there's times when all you can do is batten down the hatches and that's mm. the kind of birth to a year bit. Mm. After that kind of early kind of young kids at home bit, it's quite stormy weather. And sometimes all you can do is like protect the boat a little bit, check afterwards how far you've drifted off track and then get back on track. The main point for me is that just like sailing, parenting, it's a long journey and a very small shift off course or on course can drastically change your future trajectory and your future destination. So, you know, we don't often think, do we, when we've we've got young kids, we all know what it's like with young kids. You just become immersed in the here and now and your relationship and focus is really the one with the kids. You don't really yeah. think about in 20 years time, if you plan to stay with this partner, where might what you're doing now with mm. your sex life, what trajectory is that setting you on for when that relationship comes back into focus again? And even affection, I was thinking about this because we'll be on the sofa and I'll be smothering my youngest in kisses, like, I love you so much in that way. And then I kind of looked to my left and Doug sat there. <laughs> and I'm not doing that to him. Mm -hmm. And I always see a different kind of affection, but 
even that is quite a strict because you're pouring everything yes. into your kids, yeah. and which is good in lots of ways. It's good. It's important. But then you often are neglecting each other. Yeah. You're, well, it's your scraps, isn't it? You're giving them your scraps. Giving each other scraps. And some element of that is, of course, super normal. And at different stages of the journey, you'll be doing more of that, you know, in the very early days. Your relationship and your sex life, of course, takes a bit of a back seat, doesn't mm. it? But what I've tried to put across in the book is that you don't really need to do much of that to shift your trajectory and be set on a much better course Mm. you don't have to be kind of all over each other all the time but just taking stock of it and going hold on what are we doing to nurture us and our sex life and our relationship and are there small things that we could do that would just help us get through this phase relatively unscathed and why does it matter why is having sex important in a relationship I always find it's really interesting how we position sex as a society because it is often positioned as something just kind of frivolous and recreational. And actually, we know from sex research that it's not. Sexual satisfaction is quite important for relationship satisfaction. So we know that when people are sexually satisfied, that generally means they're happy in the relationship and they feel a heightened sense of psychological well-being, emotional closeness, and also that improved emotional climate in the relationship and we know that having a good emotional climate in the relationship also affects our parenting Mm. and the atmosphere at home so there's quite a lot about sexual satisfaction that is quite important and I would argue that there is also something about the impact of sexual satisfaction building up what I call kind of like relationship savings We know that there's resentments and stresses in parenting, right? And they can kind of send us into our overdraft and make us feel quite short with each other. We know that when people feel sexually satisfied, it kind of builds up a bit of a buffer of relationship Mm. satisfaction, which then gives us a bit more scope to cope with some of the stresses of parenting. Well, it's like if you have had a good evening of some sort, which can we talk about, you talk about how it could be full sex or it could be there's lots of other ways of having sex that isn't necessarily absolutely sex sex but the next day i see generally we're just nicer to each other and a bit more helpful with each other and there's less of like well could you just take the bins out like exactly and that's yeah i guess that's that bank that you're talking about yeah relationship savings Mm. and you know we mustn't forget as well that lots of people have a relationship structure that is monogamous Mm -hmm. and if you're gonna do that sex is actually the only thing you can get from each other that you can't get elsewhere Mm -hmm. and we know that when people aren't sexually satisfied it does create a risk of infidelity Mm -hmm. and relationship breakdown and that's not to say that a period of sexual dissatisfaction will do that Mm -hmm. and and it shouldn't do that and that's the whole point it's not an excuse to the other person yeah but it's also important not to gloss over that as well kind of years and years or decades and decades of sexual dissatisfaction may bring other risks to the relationship as well that Mm. people might want to avoid. So it's important. And so you come to a point where you talk about sexual motivation. So you talk about couples working out, like part of the beginning of the book is working out why why do you, as an individual, want to have sex? Why is it important to you? Mm -hmm. And that's different for everyone. And actually that's kind of a really core idea because... There's a couple that you talk about, and I'm trying to remember their names. Is it Joe and Nico, maybe? Um, I think it's Joe and Dan. Is it Joe and Dan? Yeah. (laughs) Maybe their names don't matter, but yeah, I know who you mean. The bloke, he wants to have sex because it makes him feel attractive, Mm -hmm. and he knows that she wants to be with him. Mm -hmm. 
for her, sex is about closeness. And because they've just had a kid, she's like, well, this is about as close as it gets. Yes. So she's less bothered about it. Yes. So they've got these two completely opposing... That's the right. result is different, basically. That's right. And it's easy to overlook, I guess, the role of why we're motivated to have sex because we've been sold an idea that we desire sex because we're feeling horny. Mm. And as we might come on to later, that's quite an infrequent reason for sex in a long-term relationship. We know that it's often not about feeling horny. It's often about meeting another psychological or relational need, such as wanting to feel close, wanting to feel connected, wanting to feel like a strong couple, obligation, Mm. stress relief, you know, all kinds of things. And understanding what needs sex meets for each of us can be really helpful to either meet those needs in other ways when sex is off the agenda or just to be able to communicate it to each other and yes I wanted to use that couple as an example and their amalgamation of lots of different couples couples that I work with I wanted to use them as an example because she's really irritated by his constant asking for sex and bringing Mm. up sex she's like can you not see Mm. what's going on like I've just had a baby I've got loads I'm not sleeping Mm. and actually it pushes her further away from him which Mm -hmm. is the the actual thing that he's wanting is to feel close and connected but the more he brings up sex because that's the way he wants to meet that need the more she's actually feeling quite distant from him Mm -hmm. the more distant she seems to him the more he brings up sex and so they get into this what know psychologists call a circular problem where both their differences actually are the thing that's creating a problem that's getting bigger and bigger over time but once they understand a bit more about each other and about their motivations which is obviously there's a task in the book for people to to do that themselves and have a conversation about it it becomes easier to sidestep and it becomes easier to work around so it's not necessarily about having more sex it's about understanding the role and function of sex for you and in your relationship And with the kind of next task in the book is the sex barometer. Mm -hmm. So I was just explaining to Karen that Doug and I took part in this. So I was reading the book. Can't wait to hear about this. God bless Doug. I know. He's a good man. And I also had the conversation with him. Do you mind what I reveal? And he was like, I think think you'll be quite a good judge of it. All right. That was so good. (laughs) Well, to be honest, though, he would like to have more sex. So us talking about it. And me understanding better and him understanding better mm-hmm. does tend to lead to that. So, okay. So, he, so there it's is a win-win. Win. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the sex life barometer was really good. So it's a series of questions and there's an A, B, C, D. And you go through it and you were saying earlier you could do it separately if you're not at that point yet where you yeah. can do it together. If, if it doesn't feel comfortable to do it together, you might want to just do it yourself or both do it separately and not discuss it yet. So, or we did it together. So the question, for example, would be, do you still passionately kiss at times other than when you're having some kind of sex? And there would be every chance we get, often, hardly ever, it's extinct. Does one of you regularly have more pleasure than the other when you have sex? I'm not necessarily going to reveal all our answers. <laughs> <laughs> but we were pretty much agreed on everything. So Okay, which was good. A good. Yeah. yeah. Um, how easy is it to talk about sex together? And also there was one about, does it always end in penetrative sex? And mm-hmm. the script... Can you explain what the script is? Yeah, so um, sexual script theory is a concept by some researchers called Simon and Gagnon, and it was an idea that if you ask people what does sex look like, they'll usually talk about um, a kind of cis-heteronormative model of sex between a man and a woman, and it usually starts with this, then someone does this, and then it ends in penis and vagina penetration. Um, And that this model 
is it's the one that you know when people talk about the baseball analogy in the first yeah. base second base yeah. that's sexual script theory yeah if you ask people what sex looks like they will use that script to describe it they use that script in when people talk about words like foreplay or virginity they're referring to that script mm -hmm. it's a really kind of restrictive idea of sex it kind of also works as a shorthand mm -hmm. so people just fall into it so that they don't have to talk about well what actually shall we do so it becomes a really convenient way of both knowing what's going to happen, but it's very predictable. It's not good for desire because it's really low on novelty. Yeah. So, yeah, that's sexual script theory. But so when I then was talking to some friends in the pub and I was explaining that we were having this conversation and about the script, she didn't say anything, my friend, but she went home, had sex with her partner, and then she, I saw her the next day and she was like, well, <laughs> I didn't want to think that that's what we were doing. But then when she mixed it up, when they were mm -hmm. having sex and did it, I don't, I don't know, I don't know the finer details, but she, I think probably a different order. They tried some different yeah, stuff. Yeah, it doesn't whatever. have to be major. No. She said it was really good. And afterwards he was like, well, where did that come from? <laughs> because he noticed. And yeah. she was like, so yeah, we were doing that. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was really interesting. Like there's so much in here that is, it's little things that you, like you said, because we don't talk about our sex lives and we don't talk mm -hmm. about we don't have a language for it really or the the way to talk about it then these things might be happening to loads or they are happening they to loads are. and loads of people I promise you they are well as you say quite a lot in the book that it's the same things that people come to you it's the same things and predictability of sexual script is it's really tricky for parents because we have other priorities right other mm -hmm. competing priorities on our time and sex has to be really alluring to right. mean that we'll move towards it and sacrifice another big competing priority like sleep, mm. right? So if sex doesn't look that alluring, either because you kind of know what's going to happen before mm -hmm. you get there or the invitation into it isn't that sexy or whatever it might be, then you're going to choose Netflix or you're going to choose <laughs> sleep because yeah. why would you? So, so that, that's the problem with the script is that the predictability of it takes away the excitement of it which you need for the desire bit yes should we just brief like in the previous podcast we did where a lot of it was about spontaneous versus responsive desire mm -hmm. should we just go over that briefly because it is so key to a lot yeah. of this so this idea that there's what there's a particular line you said in the previous one where you're like it is completely normal to never feel spontaneous desire when it comes to sex. That's right. So we used to think desire was a drive, like hunger or thirst. We used to think it was the first stage of the sexual response. So we were all prompted in, into being sexual by feeling this physical thing. Being horny. Desire, basically, basically being horny. Yeah. We now know that not to be true and that desire emerges out of being exposed to sexual stimuli. So something erotic, you know, a kiss, watching porn, watching a good sex scene on TV, and that desire follows a bit later. We also know that in a long-term relationship, we see a change in desire. So at the beginning, you have high levels of what we call spontaneous desire. It feels like it comes out of the blue. You want to have sex lots. But it's normal for that to disappear, particularly for women, but not exclusively for women in a long-term relationship. So much so that it is normal to never feel like sex out of the blue in a long-term relationship. It's normal. It's not a problem with your desire. I think you saying that is the reason that that other episode is so popular mm. because it made loads of women feel better. Mm -hmm. There's um, a menopause doctor, Dr Charlotte Gooding, who was saying that she gives out 
the episode, they're saying that they've got low libido and obviously if someone's perimenopausal, menopausal, that might be having an impact. But Mm -hmm. actually it's that reassurance because that's what people are hung up on. It's like, I'm not feeling, I'm never horny. I could literally take it or leave it Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not bothered. And that's also a hard conversation to have with a partner because they're then, if they don't understand this thing about spontaneous desire not really existing, they're thinking you've t- totally lost interest in me and it becomes about them yeah. and it's not. It's huge. It's it's potentially a relationship breaker, this yes. concern, because yeah. people don't understand it and that's why I wrote Mind the Gap. It's why, as you say, that podcast we did was so popular because actually those are the same couples that will say, I never feel like sex ever, but when we have sex, it's great. Oh, and always. I say, why don't we do it more? <laughs> yeah. And this their partner is, is like, yeah, why don't you do it more? Yeah. I don't understand. Yeah. The partner yeah. who might have higher levels of spontaneous desire is like, I don't understand you because you enjoy it yeah. and you say it's good, but then you forget about it again for ages. That's responsive desire. Responsive desire is what we should all be aiming for in long-term relationships. It basically means, yes, every once in a while you might feel like it out of the blue, but most of the time you should expect to need to nurture it. There need to be the right conditions for Mm -hmm. desire to emerge. And that's where the parent stuff is tricky Mm -hmm. because parenthood gets in the way of quite a lot of the right conditions. Should we start talking about the parenting years? We've got a chapter called Weather the Storm, which I love. <laughs> All the North Core references. It is good. So it's starting with tired. Parents are knackered. Yeah, so they what, are knackered. And that is a problem for finding time or wanting to have sex. So tiredness is really interesting, actually, because it affects sexual response in quite a lot of ways. It affects our energy for sex but it also affects us hormonally lack of sleep also affects our ability to be able to focus our attention and attention is quite crucial for sex as well mm-hmm. so there's quite a lot about tiredness that actually gets in the way of us being able to feel like sex and one of the things i say in the book and of course it's different for everyone is depending on how much sleep you're getting if you're not getting much sleep if you're getting up several times in the night honestly don't worry about sex. Um, I really like that about the book because we're, we're not going to talk too much about that kind of first year pregnancy conceiving. There is some stuff in the book about that. I mean, there's a couple who tried every month for two and a half years and then so the, the idea of sex became something completely different. So yeah. that you, you've got in there, you know, how you kind of navigate that. But also you say if someone is has postnatal depression or just that they're really knackered in that first year don't worry about it really don't worry about it and also if you're the partner of somebody who's getting up several times in the night and you're not there's where you start because sharing that nighttime load is going to make a massive difference for even a tiny amount of sexual connection whatever that might look like but I think if there was one message I want people to take about that kind of birth to a year phase Mm -hmm. it's Honestly, sex is tough for everyone and really don't worry about it. Yeah. Find other ways to stay connected. And I've given some ideas of that in the book. But people put pressure on themselves to be bouncing well, back. The bloody six week check that this is. I mean, I've heard that this <laughs> yeah. ridiculous, like where, where people joke about it, but it's it's not actually that funny where mm-hmm. you're like, oh, he's waiting for me to come back from my six week check. You know, everything's working. Everything's OK. And it's like it's not all OK because you've got a six week old and you're completely spent and your body isn't fixed at that point is it whatever however you've done it mm-hmm. like regardless you're a shell so and I don't know if you remember this particular part of it but I was quite disturbed to see the stats of, of which women sex. were returning to oral sex yeah. a lot sooner than anything else and we know from sex research that 
women don't enjoy giving oral sex that much. Mm. I mean, obviously everyone's different, but globally, men enjoy (laughs) giving oral sex to women more than women enjoy giving it to men. Interesting. But yet this was a finding that people were returning to oral sex actually much sooner. And I kind of went online on a popular mums networking Mm. site to see, is this really still happening? Yeah. And... I saw loads of threads about men circling the date on the calendar of the six-week check and there being lots of pressure. And I was quite horrified by that. Well, and the the whole thing around that is that in all the explanations that you give about sex and why it's important to a relationship and sexual satisfaction and relationship satisfaction, that isn't it. No. Sex like that is actually bad for relationship satisfaction and sexual satisfaction and will decrease your desire over time. So... It's got to be sex that you want to be having, having, not sex that's for somebody else's benefit to avoid. This episode is sponsored by Ancient and Brave, a new generation of sustainably sourced collagen blends and supplements. I started taking their true collagen about three months ago before we were working together and I'd heard that collagen was a good thing for my age and very quickly I noticed that my nails were growing quicker and stronger and also the hairdresser noticed that I had like regrowth and my hair was getting thicker so I'll definitely take that. Ancient and Brave's products are pure, potent, easy to take. I just mix mine with a bit of water um, and the aim is they will elevate your wellness naturally from helping menopausal symptoms to supercharging your energy. But what really sets them apart is their sustainability. They are a B Corp as well as a member of 1% for the planet, which means they donate 1% of all sales to environmental causes that protect the planet because collective action adds up. So by buying their products, you're supporting the planet too. Visit 1%fortheplanet.org to learn more. And we have a 20% discount for listeners off any order with the code DBHF20. Just head to the Ancient and Brave website. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. One of the questions I was going to ask is, so if the partner who isn't enlightened is hassling a new mum, like in a, in a come on, let's get back to it kind of way, how does she make them understand that mm. she's not ready? Yeah, I mean, I guess that's one of the reasons I wrote this book, Not For Women, because I think it ends up being part of kind of women's mental load yeah yeah to kind of educate people around sex and sex after kids and actually it is quite complex and it's often something that uh, can be quite easily dismissed so you know for example the whole section on kind of equity over you know the mental load and division of labor in the household quite often when I'm working with heterosexual couples it will be really hard sometimes for the man in that relationship to understand the connection between that and sex yeah and 
it needs making explicit, but it's actually quite complicated because yeah. it's about sex and desire require attention. When we have lots of things on our mental to-do list, we've got the cognitive load of switching our attention frequently and that leaves less attention to be focused on sexual stimuli from our partner, like a, you know, an invitation to sex or our own sexual thoughts or mm. energy, as well as building resentment and as well as feeling like you've got another child to look after mm -hmm. if you're doing most of the work. So... I wouldn't want her to feel obligated to do all the educating, but and I guess that's why I wrote it, because mm. I'd want them to read the book and go, oh, OK, mm. now I understand how all these things are connected and what I can do, crucially, outside of sex to improve our sex life. But I suppose it's probably as well why people come to you. I mean, it'd be interesting to know what who the driver is in those couples mm. because it could be that I guess that they get to the point where they're like he is not understanding yeah. and I can't keep explaining it obviously through doing the podcast and all the books and different people I've spoken to we've been on a whole sort of journey for the last few years of Doug understanding better all of this stuff mm -hmm. but also me understanding it yes. because actually if you talk to me when my kids were two and three or something I just was really angry and resentful mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been able to explain why or mm -hmm. it would have been like he doesn't do anything and I wouldn't have known that the impact that any of that would have had on my sex life or, yes. or all the other components of a relationship yeah it's not a quick fix it's you've got to try and but it well in some ways it is but you've got to try and understand it first. That's right. It's the understanding has to come first. Yeah. Actually, out of the understanding, there are quite a lot of quick fixes. Yeah. And what I hope I put across in the book is that the quick fixes often aren't what you think they're going to be. And I think when I see particularly men and women that come and see me around sex after having kids, I think sometimes the women in those relationships, if they're the one feeling less interested in sex will be a bit nervous that this work is going to look like we'll have more sex then and yeah. find more time to have more sex that's not the solution mm. you don't need to find lots of time that's good sexual connection <laughs> yeah none of us have got time have we sexual connection doesn't have to be time spent having sex like having sex is just one part of our sexual connection with a partner it's not like an on off like a light switch like it's off you're not a sexual couple the rest of the time. And when you have sex, it's on. And therefore, you have to switch it on more often. Yeah. It's actually more of a spectrum that we relate to each other as sexual people, that we are able to feel connected as a couple, that we're able to have fun together, that we're able to express attraction and desire, that we're able to talk about sex. Like There's so much that is being connected sexually that isn't about having sex, mm -hmm. that you can find small moments to fit in to keep that side of your relationship going, even if you're not having more sex or yeah. you don't want to have more sex. We'll come on to some of the kind of specifics that people can do. You've mentioned about being distracted. Distraction for parents is an issue. Yes. How do you get your brain working for and not against it if you are trying to move into that space? Yeah. As a society, I think challenges with distraction mm. for all of us, threatening our attention are you know, more and more. I think it's something we're all struggling with, right? Mm. And it's partly how we use our devices and partly how we use our time. And there's so much in society that doesn't help for all of us, particularly for parents. We're all trying to have it all, aren't we? We're all trying to, mm. you know, work and have friendships and um, look after kids or, you know, there's lots of kind of competing priorities. Because of that, the mental to-do list can be big. And I mentioned some books as a book by Darcy Lockman called All the Rage. 
and another one called Fair Play by Eve Rosgi. She's amazing. Both of those books, I think, are really quite useful because they talk about that illusion of equality Mm -hmm. that a lot of us feel that we have. And I think when it comes to distraction and attention, we first need to look at the root cause of our distracted minds. So the pressures upon us and how that can be more equally distributed. And if it can't be, just an acknowledgement and a sense of that being just and something that's decided between us, not just default falling onto one person. So I think the first thing is to tackle it at its root and work out how to challenge those priorities and find more time. But sometimes we can't find more time. Sometimes the stress is there, whether that's about economic hardship, whether it's about having to care for elderly family members as well as kids. In those times, it's just really important to understand the impact of that on your sex life. It will distract you. It will reduce your desire. It will make sex something which is lower down the priority list. And all of that is okay. Mm -hmm. If it's a period you're going through where you feel we might come through this in some time, then just accept it, talk about it, acknowledge it. It's It's a talking about it, isn't it? Because when you don't and then time passes and then it becomes awkward. And I think that I've seen with myself, but with loads of friends where it goes beyond a certain amount of time. Yes. And I know it's not about frequency, but it's that you've become housemates more. Exactly. And then it's hard to get back. But a lot of that is to do with just the, for parents, it's because there's so much other stuff to do. Yeah. And, and it, how do you find that? Yeah. Just acknowledging it and saying, it's not great at the moment, is it? We don't have much time for us. We've not got much time to say. And I'm sad I don't have that time. Yeah. Like maybe even that, because you talk about being able to say no, but in a in a way we're explaining why yes and that actually it's not ideal Um, and there's a task in the book around talking about what you miss about mm. your sex life pre-kids and what you're looking forward to having again in the future don't underestimate the power of those conversations on a partner because often people are worried about sex because they think they don't want it anymore they're not interested in me anymore this part of our relationship is dying away we're becoming a sexless couple these are all the thoughts people have when Mm -hmm. sex isn't happening having a conversation where you're like look this is all going on it's a lot can we check in in you know a couple of months time this is something i absolutely don't want to lose between the two of us but right now it is not my priority Mm. and i hope you understand why let's find a way to stay connected and you know feel like we're both getting what we need Mm. and come back to it that that conversation can be really powerful that is really important because also it might be that that person does completely go to they're just not attracted to but probably if they haven't understood any of this that is where they go to they're not attracted to me this is again it's about it's often where they go and especially if the other partner regardless of their gender is someone with higher spontaneous desire Mm -hmm. so they are still feeling that they are still thinking about sex they are still wanting to be sexual they're perhaps not as tired they've perhaps not got as much on their mental to-do list it's hard for them to understand and because of that they go straight to you've got a problem with your desire or you've got a problem with me and Mm. us and that can really eat away at relationship satisfaction there's a bit in the book where you talk about darcy lockwood that you mentioned about mental load and she in her book she says about how we saw our mothers do everything and we didn't want that so initially in the equal in the early days that we had that equality it felt like when we were first cohabiting with a male partner until the birth of the first child mm-hmm. i a hundred percent felt that because mm-hmm. doug and I, like, I was earning more than him when we were first together and 
he always jokes about how I had some Prada sunglasses. I worked for the government. I don't know what I was doing. but And, it, like, I felt like that independent woman that I thought I was going to be and I wanted to be. And then suddenly I wasn't. And then I had another kid quite soon after that. And it really threw us for quite a while. Yeah. And I couldn't explain that because I didn't have the vocabulary about mental load at all. I just was like, what am I doing? I don't... And why are you not doing it? And it took a lot of conversations it's not like you can just go this is all the stuff that I'm doing it's understanding what that mental load is yeah and there's something in what she says around that pattern kind of getting set by the person that might be on parental leave which Mm. is often the birth parent so if you're on maternity leave that that pattern gets set and then when you return to work if you're someone who does return to work you're still doing it you're still doing it and I found it quite interesting looking at those stats because they talk about even if you're earning more you're still probably doing more yeah so there is an equity there but also that it's not really about having an equal division of labor it's about that being just and that being something that's seen and appreciated and so I've got a whole section in the book about having a conversation about that and how you might go about it. There's a paragraph where you explain the mental load and it's it's really clear. It's like it lists a few of the things that it's like, is you the only person in the relationship or what does one person in relationship deal with these things? And it lists a load and it might be like birthday parties, the dentist appointment, the keeping in touch with the relatives. Oh, the WhatsApp chats. Yeah. Oh my gosh, the WhatsApp. (laughs) And well, and that's a big, that's a really easy one. If you have a partner and you're the only one on a WhatsApp group for the school, Mm -hmm. get them on it. Yeah, because if you notice the WhatsApp chats are usually all mums. Well, not at our school anymore. That's but good. only because there was a big fraud <laughs> about it. But, but yeah, exactly. And then people go, oh, well, I, I've said this before, but I had a conversation where I suddenly realised, my eldest had been at school for a few years before I suddenly was like, why? And the only reason I noticed it is because when Mabel joined school, there was a same-sex couple, two men, mm-hmm. which meant there were men on that group. Yes. Was like, oh, why are there no men on the other group? <laughs> and I just was like, that's ridiculous. But the response was like, oh, I don't think they want to be on here, darling. <laughs> and I was livid. But it reinforces the problem, doesn't it? Because then the people on the WhatsApp chat are the people that know about the All birthday the parties, the school event, yeah. the and then that men- the mental load that comes from that. I mean, it's but for some for for your partner to understand that that isn't a turn on. That is quite the opposite. When you are carrying all of that, and they're not yeah it it makes it you're so different and unequal yeah in that as parents we we talked earlier about those kind of you know sex needs to be motivating to pull us towards it but you know picture yourself as someone who is wanting desire to emerge you know you're quite open to the idea of okay my partner's invited me into this and let me see if we can start to feel sexual if you've got a really long mental to-do list running through your head, if it's 10 p.m., 11 p.m. at night and you're thinking, if I don't go to sleep now, I'm going to be knackered tomorrow, all of these competing thoughts will distract you away from being able to get in the zone. And if you're someone who has lower levels of spontaneous desire and you're trying to nurture your desire, it's just like putting roadblocks in your way. Mm. So the more that you can share that, the more you can not have those things on your mind and know someone else will do them and not do them because you've asked them to, but yeah. do them because they've seen it and taken charge of it. Because they want to play a part in your family, yes, basically, a fair part, yeah. Um, the other one that you've got in there that is a massive challenge for parents, we've mentioned time. We both work full-time, we've got three kids, 
the house is at the bottom of the list because that's just a mess because I gave up on that one ages ago. <laughs> but I find that when we have time, everything is really good. Mm-hmm. And that usually means removing the children, which is you can't do that all the time. But we like when in the summer holidays, um, they went to grandparents for a few days before we were going on holiday. And we did have quite a lot of sex. Mm-hmm. We were at home in our own home, which I don't think we've ever been in our own home without the children there. So it was really weird, but it was really lovely. Yes. But we talked about it and we were like, oh, so we're not broken. Sometimes there's, we need to take something out. And that could be yeah. work because actually if you're on holiday, it's similar. But you need to have experienced that, I guess. But mm-hmm. also, it's, I guess it's give, not giving yourself a hard time when you don't have that time. It's like because there isn't any. Yeah. And one of the kind of strategies I talk about as a way forward is it might be that you th- there's a task which is about looking at your week yeah. and how much yeah. time you actually spend together where the kids aren't there. Yeah. And usually when people do that task, they're like, oh, OK, we have half an hour over the space of a week and it's all in like the end of the day when yeah. we're shattered or whatever. Yeah. One of the strategies might be you just look at that and go, we have no time. Like, mm. let's we just don't have any time. Let's create like, I don't know, five minutes a week where we just have like a really nice kiss. Or let's create one evening a month. Like, It doesn't have to be a lot of time. It really doesn't. Mm. But just setting an intention to do s- some small things differently can make a huge difference. Mm. Having, I think I give an example of a couple that turns their goodbye kiss from a peck on the lips into like a five second snog, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Having that as you leave the door can make you feel like a sexual couple more than the kind of a predictable well, This is the one that Doug takes hour. very seriously from your first book. <laughs> Does he? Yeah, and sometimes I'm like, such a good student. Oh god, it's because he wants more sex. But I'm good for him. But it, but but if sometimes I'm like, okay, I've got to give over to this because (laughs) because there's always stuff to do. So it is. It has to. You're right. It has to be quite intentional. Yeah. But the time thing is interesting as well because you also mentioned when you have older kids. And we've got that now. So I've really stupidly spanned my kids out. So we've got like a five-year-old and then a nearly 13-year-old. But he then is hanging out with us, watching whatever, the Beckham documentary and stuff. So instead of it just being Doug and I, he's there. Yeah. But you say in the book, you're not going to be actively saying like, oh, we're just going going off for a shag. (laughs) But you like... You don't have to hide it because you're a consenting couple, your parents. It's probably a good thing for them to see that sex is something that you do and it's fun. And when I say see, I don't mean... We know what you mean. (laughs) We know. But that it's not shameful. Because what we grew up with was no one talking about sex because it's shameful. Yeah. And I just, like... I thought that was really interesting because I think every now and then he, he's at that age where he will test, you know, he's testing stuff. So he might kind of make a joke about something like, oh, did you two have sex or something? <laughs> and like when we'd had a weekend away, like, and we were like, oh, like, it's quite an interesting yeah. thing. Like, what do we say to that? Because it's so sweet that but, he feels able to say that. Yeah, that says good. a lot. It's good. Oh, good. OK, I'll take that. <laughs> did you know that our hair is most vulnerable when wet? Good Wash Day created their t-shirt towels to reduce friction, damage, dryness, frizz and drying time made from the softest organic jersey cotton and perfect for all hair types. All Good Wash Day towels are made in the UK from ethically sourced fabrics and they also have some gorgeous patterns and prints, so much so that my daughter has nicked the one they sent me, which was a really lovely leopard print one. They're also really lightweight and take up so much less space than a regular head towel, so would be perfect for travelling and holidays. For 10% off any order, use the code DBHF10 at goodwashday.com. This code can't be used in conjunction with any other offer or discount code. Good hair days start with a good wash day. 
Peach House is a lifestyle brand that believes the fashion industry can be a force for good. They craft beautiful, ethically made underwear, sleepwear and clothing, but more than that, they're creating a platform and retail experience that centers on connection, collaboration and positivity. And they have a new collection of sleepwear and underwear just in time for Christmas, crafted from light as air ethical cotton and recycled Italian lace. I've got my eye on a pair of the wide leg pyjamas with a kind of oversized shirt because no one wants tight pyjamas and they are gorgeous. Visit peachhouse.com, that's peachaus.com and sign up for 10% off. Peach House, everyday beautiful. I just think that was a really interesting yeah. point because if you are trying desperately to hide it, if you can't ever disappear in an afternoon or something like that, that might be your only chance. Yeah, I mean, waiting till bedtime is oh, often God. a terrible no strategy. One. You've had parents. dinner as well. Yeah, that, that. dinner, being full. Yeah, You know, people talk all the time about, it's one of my bugwares actually when you see kind of articles about having a good sex life after having kids and it's things like make sure you go on dates. I'm like... Yeah, but what are the dates? Like, you're going out for dinner, you're going to come back, you're going to be really full and really tired. No. Like, it's really unsexy. So think about how you do it. Going to bed at 11pm, knowing that your kid might be still awake in the next room. These can be things that people can find really challenging. Yeah. But remember, the biggest gift you can give your child around their future sex life is a lack of shame mm. around sex, a sense of this is something that is enjoyable, is pleasurable, you know, having privacy for them and for you, it's it's a really good gift to give them, actually, to say, actually, you know, me and your dad are going, we're going to go to bed early tonight, so don't disturb us, we'll see you in the morning, kind of thing. And going to bed it's at making 9 me laugh instead I'm of just 11. picturing my parents just would never have done that. <laughs> and it would have been so awkward. But I, reading it, I was like, oh, that's really interesting. I can see how that is a very different way to do it that is better than how previous generations did it. Yes. Yeah. But, I mean, it's it's challenging and you've got it both ends of the scale. Well, you know. when we were on holiday, it was the first holiday where we could sleep in and you know on holiday I want to lie in because it's like yeah. I, my sleep's dreadful anyway and I was like oh this is, we're, we're coming to a different night and, and our youngest is nearly six so it's that slight because he can get up and hang out with the others and then that gives you time and again that is going to be it's more precious. likely that something might happen yeah. if you've got actual time even just a talk like if your day starts which a lot of people do with a child in your bed or coming into your bed you've wiped out not just time to have sex, but just time to have a chat. Absolutely. Because can't, I can't do that at 10, 11 o'clock at night. Because I've got, I'm, or by yeah. the time we put the kids to bed, I'm done. I don't really have much yeah. left. And, you know, for a lot of people, morning sex was a time they felt most sexy. And as soon mm. as you have kids, that goes out the window, mm. right? You don't get mornings. You get like crudely awakened by someone yeah. shouting, Mom. And then you just bitch at each other a bit. It's, yeah. Yeah. I think one of the biggest changes that, happens for parents around their sex life is that your sex life goes from something which is based on an idea that you'd like to have sex for whatever reason whether that's a sexual motivation like desire or a non-sexual motivation like feeling close that's the kind of reason for doing it pre-kids after kids it almost is opportunity first yeah and then having to get in the headspace second yeah and having to get in the headspace is really difficult if you don't know how to nurture desire for each other so mm -hmm. If you invite each other in in a really unsexy way or, you well, know. Previously, people might have thought of it as an initiation yes. when you're initiating sex. But you talk about in the book how you changed that into talking about an invitation. Yes. I don't really like the word initiation because 
I think, you know, as a psychologist, language is really important and language defines reality. So an an initiation is a bit like, I'm starting this. Are you going to go along with it or not? Yeah. And if you're starting it and you're having to feel pressure to go along with it, that that pressure is generally quite unsexy. And you either feel like you have to go along with it when you're not ready or you have to kind of go, no, I'm not doing this, which when someone's already started it actually feels difficult. Yeah. An invite to me is something a bit different it's like saying i've got this idea what do you think it's like saying here's something alluring i want to propose to you it's not a fait accompli it's not a kind of well we're doing this are you going to go along with it it's what do you think about this idea it gives you time to kind of get in the zone Mm. so for an invite you might think well i'm not feeling it yet but maybe if we do x y or z i might and i think invite makes that concept a bit easier than initiation which is like sex is starting Mm. go along with it or don't and you say about that in quite a lot of the clinics that you it's quite common for people to say the way that their partner initiates sex leaves them cold yes and i would say that that's a a chat with your girlfriends over a glass of wine where we might talk about oh god he wakes me up in the morning with a hard on in my back and and Mm -hmm. we all laugh because it's like that's just not going to do it Mm -hmm. it's just that's not the one but that's them trying to initiate something quite often yeah it doesn't work, chaps. I'm just saying it's not. It's not <laughs> might work for some, but I yeah, it's but not many. I don't. Well, that you know I know what? of. Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. It's really difficult with invitations because I get why we struggle with it, mm. and it's because it's quite a sensitive thing. You're, you're putting kind yourself of, out there. Yeah, aren't you? you're putting yourself out there. You're testing the water. Mm-hmm. You're trying to not be too much, but also give someone the idea of something there's quite a lot going on and if you're not comfortable talking about sex or you've never had a conversation with each other about how you like invitations to happen Mm -hmm. it can often just fall short and something I I wrote about is that in my sex therapy clinics I noticed that a lot of the couples that I see they don't actually have problems with desire they have problems with invitations because they're thinking about sex or feeling like sex but they actually can't translate that with their partner into having sex because the way they invite or the way their partner invites them just as you say leaves them cold Mm. the most common one is fancy a shag that comes up all the time (laughs) fancy a shag it's it's a really unsexy invite point it's kind of stating the end goal like if you imagine that if you're Mm. not feeling like sex and and someone says fancy a shag your immediate answer is no Based because on your whole concept of desire, no, right now, no. no right now, I'm not. No. I, haven't, I haven't got there yet. That's part of the whole process, isn't Exactly. It? So you've got to find other ways to invite each other in. So I was just going to take you through the four different types of invitation because basically what you're saying is it would be helpful to have a conversation with a partner about which of these is what their ideal is. And I guess it will change, right, depending on it their mood. It could change, you know, it could be all of them, but how do we know that the way we're doing it isn't leaving our partner cold yeah. without discussing it? Yeah, okay, so one of them is emotion sentimental. So arrange a romantic dinner, make me laugh, really listen, show interest in what I say, clear space for us and show thoughtfulness. Second one, seductive, exotic, send me sexy pictures, describe something you'd like to us to do sexually, show more skin than usual, tease me. Uh, surrender, push me against the wall, kiss me passionately, undress me, take charge of the situation. And sensation, touch my body, including non-sexual parts, press yourself against me without saying anything, wake me up with sexual touch and kiss me. And I read those and I think for me and people that I've spoken to about it, like friends, Mm -hmm. the emotion sentimental one, as a parent, as an exhausted parent who doesn't have a lot left in the tank and 
doesn't and feels like I am constantly caring for other people, that's the one. Right. And I think that's probably one that it takes a bit more effort, maybe. Yeah. And it takes a bit of time. But not not doesn't have to be loads of time though. It yeah. can just be a really connecting conversation, can't it? About like how are you really? Yeah. Like what was your day like? What really mattered to you today? It can be that kind of conversation. Yeah. But I think that's one where friends would be like yeah if you care for me more feeling like I'm not the one being mum and Mm. I'm being cared for that is more of a turn on than probably lots of things and I think that would be really helpful for more people to understand and it's also sometimes the case that we invite each other in based on what our style is so if you're someone who sensation is the way for you you know someone's hands on your body is what is what works for you yeah then you might find yourself doing that with a partner and it might kind of fall short of what works for them so really important to talk about it and also i would say that just like novelty is important in all areas of our sex life so you know who we bring to the bedroom not that it has to happen there all the time how sex happens novelty and an invitation is also useful to consider so if you always do it the same way yeah if you always say the romantic dinner isn't going to work every time (laughs) it it will become predictable and predictability brings with it pressure and you'll think i know what they're doing but also, suppose if you're in a relationship and you know that desire isn't going to happen spontaneously, and sometimes it's not about obligation, that's really important because you talk about the difference, but it's not you're not doing it because otherwise you're going to upset them or they're yeah, going to get that's angry. that's really important. Really important because that's something, again, that I know of within friendships or people mm-hmm. I know. But I think the point is that if you're in a good relationship and you understand that their invitation is different, it might be that you, a bit of sacrifice, that you go in and you give them that. Like, yeah. I know that Doug would love it if I stormed into his office in my underwear. <laughs> to me, that's not the one. But I guess it's like, but if you're in a relationship and you understand those things and you, you can also give them what they want and yeah. that's okay, like, that's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, in sex research, we know that it's a strength of sexual relationships if people are willing to sometimes give for the other person because they know that that's something that person would like to do. So what that might look like is not being close to the idea of sex, but being a bit neutral. I don't even know if I want to have sex today, but you know what? Let's kiss for a minute and see where it goes because, you know, it's important to the person. That's quite different from doing it to avoid something negative happening like conflict which it's really important to make that distinction that sexual giving in that way doing something for a partner is generally associated with high levels of sexual satisfaction but doing something to keep someone happy to Mm. stop them from leaving to stop a row it generally depletes sexual satisfaction over time and relationship satisfaction yeah which makes sense and you talk about saying no gracefully yes so and i think that because uh, we haven't talked about hypervigilance. We talked about it in the previous episode, but I think that's where. So the minute that you can feel that they're coming on to you, that, that people go into this hypervigilance where they're like, "Well, we'll quickly leave the room. I'll wear really thick pajamas and all those things yeah. because you don't want to be giving them the wrong impression." The pressure. But the saying no gracefully and being able to say a reason, which is like, "I'm so tired. I've had this massive thing at work, and I just can't. I don't think I'm going to get there." But yes. we can kiss for a minute or can we just not do anything tonight or whatever that is that's a big one as well yeah and it's quite interesting actually when you look at the research around how we turn each other down so saying no gracefully and sexual satisfaction for parents because it actually makes a massive difference 
to parents' sexual satisfaction, how we turn each other down. And it's, again, something in the book that's a small change you can make that isn't about having more sex, but is about the way you say no. Mm -hmm. And so, as you say, just saying, that sounds like a great idea, babe, but I could just imagine that, you know, the kid's going to be up in two hours and I just really need my sleep tonight. Can we take a rain check? Mm -hmm. Can be so affirming of that person and it gives them courage to invite again in the future because you've not bitten their head off and gone for god's sake why are you always talking about sex at the worst times Mm -hmm. which it's easy for all of us to do that when we're feeling harassed and pressurized but it generally then makes people really scared to invite and when people are scared to invite and when they invite infrequently that invitation usually means more to them that it's accepted Mm. so there's pressure riding on it the less they invite it's like they've waited till they can't bear it anymore and it really matters. And then they invite and then if you turn you them down. Hmm. So I often say in my sex therapy clinic that for me, real success in sex therapy with couples is when they feel free to invite and free to turn down easily. Hmm. You should be able to invite without worry and you should be able to turn down without fear of consequence. And by consequence, I mean you know, someone being a bit moody Mm, mm. or that kind of sense of pressure. With the being a bit moody bit, again, if they haven't understood all this other stuff that we've talked about, because they're taking it as a rejection of them rather than a, this isn't where my head's at right now. Yeah, yeah. And that's a big difference. And it's also about the culture of the sexual relationship, because if your kind of way of relating to each other sexually has become very infrequent and absent and awkward, that light switch we talked about earlier. So there's no sexual relationship until sex happens once every few months. And that's that's the sexual relationship. Yeah. If the sexual culture becomes like that, then invitations feel so much more pressurized. Mm. And actually what we want is a sexual culture that doesn't rely on the act of sex. It still feels sexual. You still feel wanted, desired, connected, connected, Mm. able to talk about sex, relaxed about sex, able to invite each other in. Even to say, you know, and I know kind of in the early days of parenthood, um, you know, we're all learning, right? But one of the things that I suppose... I noticed as most interesting is that you can talk about what you'd like to do if you weren't so tired (laughs) and it's actually quite interesting to be like oh you know if I didn't need to go to sleep I would love to do x y and z that is a sexual relationship and it might lead to something because then you're talking and you're in that headspace it might and it might trigger desire Mm. but what it might also do is meet yours or your partner's motivations for sex if one of your partner's motivations for being sexual like we discussed at the beginning is to feel desired Mm -hmm. you don't need to be having sex for them to feel desired just tell them you can tell them you can say i think you've just (laughs) said everyone a lot of time (laughs) no one needs to be having sex no it's about having like multiple tools at your disposal at a time when we're all time poor so if we're closing up what's the one thing if someone's listening to this and they're like okay like there's quite a lot of stuff to get your head around and i definitely the book comes out in april so yeah they'll be able to pre-order it yeah from today brilliant what's the one thing that someone could do as a start a first step Probably the most important thing to do would be to start with talking about it. And I have a whole kind of communication map in the book for ways in which people could work out where is the best the best place for them to start. That's probably a good place for most people to start. Talk about three things. Talk about what you miss from your sex life pre-kids. Mm-hmm. 
what you'd like to do more of and what gets in the way. And that's a very kind of non-blaming and neutral place to start. It doesn't imply you need to do anything different. Just let's talk about all the things we miss and what we're look for, looking forward to doing again in the future. The other thing, I guess, is just to know that it's normal. Through the book, the fact that it's like you are not unusual is mm-hmm. a really key message because I think especially women take this on as another thing that they are responsible for. Absolutely. The boat is like literally bobbing around in a storm, but also don't think that you are completely at its mercy. There are things you can do to stay on course or if you've drifted off course to get back on again to protect the boat. There are things you can do that will kind of lead you in the future to be in a better place with sex than you might be if you don't do anything. Perfect. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much to Karen, especially for allowing me to be the first to properly talk with her about the book. A genuine honour. I'm away with girlfriends this weekend for a Hindu, and I know we will definitely be covering this topic. Um, and actually, last time I spoke with Karen on the podcast, I had people calling me in the school playground. So I'm hoping that happens again because it's always fun to chat in real life with people um, about all these topics. And also, I'm hoping that Doug he's okay with the episode. I did send it to him before this went live and he hadn't got around to listening to it. So there you go, Doug. (laughs) I don't reveal too much. Uh, If you're interested in similar conversations on relationships, try the episodes with Laura Danger, uh, one with Matt Frey and also Bridget Shorty. And if you like any of the podcast, do give us a rating and a review. We've got five stars on iTunes, which is very cool. Um, and drop me a line. It's, as I said, it's really nice to hear from people and know that people are listening. And thank you for listening. We're heading into Christmas zone over here at Don't Buy Her Flowers. So if you need any brilliantly thoughtful gifts, packages you can put together yourself and make them totally bespoke, check out don'tbuyherflowers.com. And we'll be back soon. I hope you have a good week. <laughs>